Alice. Yes, Ponders. You really like Rogue One. I really like Rogue One. Like, it's not just one of your favorite Star Wars films, is that correct? Uh, That is correct. It is indeed my first favorite, very favorite Star Wars film. It's also probably maybe my third or fourth, like, favorite film ever. Ever. That's, that's, That's fair. That's fair. It's behind, like, The Princess Bride. Good choice. And The Fall. And... No, I'm. Oh no, and uh, Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road is also a good choice, but this isn't a uh, Mad Max Funny Road, our uh, Mad Max fan podcast. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea, though. We'll do that it's one next. Idea. <laughs> this is uh, this is Rogue Fun, a podcast story. It's such a good name for a podcast. I'm just so excited to do- be doing this with you. When we uh, when we found on on Twitter that we share a mutual love and and absolute respect for this film we just had to do it so what is the conceit of this podcast what are we what are we going to do here so uh every month you and i are going to rewatch the best star wars movie ever made rogue one and pick a new topic of discussion uh each month something specific to talk about uh and talk about it we're going to dissect the movie uh kind of scene by scene, uh, concept by concept. Uh, we're even going to dive deep into the Rogue One uh, ancillary novels, uh, such as the uh, the prequel called Catalyst about Galen and Lyra. We'll talk about Rebel Rising, which is what Jyn Erso was up to between the first and second scenes of the movie. Um, we'll even talk the the novelization and graphic novel adaptations. It, it's funny to me, because I, I, I guess I should start by saying that Rogue One is a good film. I, I really liked it. It's maybe maybe one of my favorite Star Wars films. It's in the top two or three, uh, for sure. Um, and it's definitely in my list of like top ten films that I would watch regularly, as evidenced by the fact that I'm doing a podcast with this. But in beginning to like dive into this i had no idea that there was a prequel to this prequel (laughs) that there's a a whole book setting up the events of a movie that sets up the events of a trilogy like uh there's really a lot more to this universe than just what you get in the film and i I think that that's that's going to be a lot of fun to explore as we as we continue to do this um but i'm also really excited to go in-depth on specific topics about the film. So, like, the use of music in the film is one of my favorite things about Rogue One, and at some point I will have a piano in front of me as we record, and I will play out the different parts and how they are interesting to me. Um, And we're also going to talk about other things. I have a a list up here, and I won't give away everything, but um, we definitely want to talk about its role as being tied into the rest of the Star Wars universe um, and the little bits that come from the other movies, but the things that make it also unique and its own story. Um, and yeah, break it down bit by bit. In in high school, we, we called this uh, exegesis. Have you ever heard that word? I have never heard that word, and I am ashamed to admit that. So uh, that's okay. I tend to find these weird words. Exegesis is where you take a sentence and you break it down bit by bit. Um, 
it, it's out of, you are pulling out of the meaning. And so you look at the definition of the first word and you extrapolate. And you look at the definition of the second word and you extrapolate. Um, and so in this way, my high school required that I write seven page papers on one sentence in Moby Dick. Uh, by extrapolating every word, by understanding a deeper meaning, by really trying to get inside of Melville's head, we're going to do the same thing, but not to the exact same degree. But we are going to, we are going to learn and talk about every aspect of this film by the time we're done with this. And I could not be more excited. This yeah. is going to be great. It's going to be amazing. So, we just want to get started with general ideas about the film. Yeah. Yeah. So. What do you love about Rogue One? Why do you love it? That's such a big question. That, that's, but... why the, that's why the topic <laughs> is big general ideas about the film. <laughs> big general ideas about the film. What I love about Rogue One, hmm, it stuck out to me the very first time I saw it. And I did see it five times in theaters and have watched it over 15 times since. What stuck out to me first was that it gave me a, a cast of characters, of diverse, interesting characters led by a female. I immediately entranced by these, by the choices of the casting choices and the, the acting and directing choices of these characters and why in a two and a half hour film, I was able to fall so deeply in love with all of them. Something so striking happened on that screen that resonated so fully with me. And it 100% comes down to the people that they chose both to make and star in the film. That it filled in, it filled in a gap and it gave me, it was, it's almost like something I could play with. And that's why there's, uh, there's so many fan fictions about the characters from Rogue One and there's so many um, so many of these spin-off novels and stuff, you're given so little, but with so much potential. And it was a good action flick, and it's a good sci-fi flick, it's a good fantasy flick, and it's a little romantic, but not so much that I felt like it was shoehorned in. Like, you didn't get your big kiss at the end. You don't, you don't get shoved into a romantic storyline that, that, that isn't earned. It just sat right in my gut the first time I saw it. And I've been obsessed ever since. That was December 2016. It also, um, and this is, we're going to get real personal real quick. Um, I saw Rogue One for the first time. It was opening weekend and it was about four days after I had lost my father. And um, which came very suddenly and he was pretty young. And I was looking for a spot to disappear into. I was looking for something to take my mind off of things for a while. And what I got instead, what, well, I got that. I got this, this fantasy world, this place to escape into for a couple hours. But I also was given the gift of the relationship between Jin and Galen and her dealing with her grief of losing her father and the catharsis that she was able to find and also not find at the same time that I wasn't, that I also wasn't able to have. Um, and so it just arrived at a really particularly difficult but special time of my life 
that, um, I don't know, you, sometimes the right thing comes along at the right time and it just does it. It's just it. And I can, you know, I, I, I want to talk about Galen and, and Lyra specifically, uh, in a, their own, their own episode probably. For sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, their, that relationship and the, the, the parent child relationship in there was really something that I felt, uh, was necessary both for, for this universe and for myself. I, I had no idea it was, it was such a personal film for you in that regard. I, I just knew that you liked it from the the many, many, many tweets. I'm going to move from that. I don't have a, a personal story to connect to it. But that idea of family at the heart of Jin's ethical system and how she determines how she's going to act, especially towards the end of the movie. We should say, spoiler alert, for Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, uh, you should... <laughs> that, should, that should be just... From the top. Don't okay. listen to this podcast if you haven't seen Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, pause the podcast. Go watch Rogue One. Watch Rogue One. And then come back. So, the, the, as, as it moves towards the end of the film, her ethical system, uh, and actually what I was struck by the most this time, a couple of things, but one of them is that scene where she first sees the hologram of her father, and there's a really, really touching detail of her, like, um, just being frozen in place and not knowing what to do and like collapsing uh, before um, uh, names. Uh, no, not Saul. Suave. Oh, Cassian. Cassian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, she like collapses and Cassian has to come like grab her and be like, let's go, let's go. And at the beginning, Galen says to her, Everything I do is for you. Jen, come here. Remember, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. Um, and then this all comes full circle when the file that contains the Death Star plans is called Stardust. What? Stardust. That's it. How do you know that? I know because it's me. Uh, and it's all to save her. But she has taken her father's larger mission of doing everything for her and expanded it to a mission to do what it takes to, like, fulfill his larger goal of, of saving people. But I, I guess when I first saw it, what really struck me was how poignant it was for the times. How, like, and I, I kind of wrote about this, but it's, it's a very politically conscious movie in a way that I felt like Star Wars hadn't been since Star Wars was about hippies fighting against an empire. Like, back in the 70s, the the empire wasn't necessarily, like, Nazi Germany. The empire was, like, America. People lived inside of it. It was sending people to war. It was creating weapons of mass destruction. Uh, and the hippies were the rebels inside fighting against it. Um, in... In Rogue One, what's so perfectly captured is not the the rebels. It's not like, which is funny because the rebels will come after, but it's not that initial group of rebels. It's the kids of the rebels. It's Cassian who lost his parents when he was a kid. It's Jin who's going through this struggle of the dual identity. Um, it's this generation that comes after and has to find its place within this thing. Um, 
And I feel like that just rang true for me, especially in 2016, as we were approaching another election. Um, we were approaching an election at that point, weren't we? We had finished the election. We were approaching an inauguration. Right. As we were approaching an inauguration, um, being inside of this kind of system, wondering how things were going to happen, and especially Jin's line of political apathy. You know, uh, you don't have to... Um, it's not a problem if you don't look up. You can stand to see the Imperial flag rain across the galaxy. It's not a problem if you don't look up. Uh, her transformation out of that was just such a a moving and compelling thing for me because I, I had, I've always been interested in politics. I've always loved engaging, but I had hit this sort of stagnation point specifically with um, things like, and I know this is getting hyper-political, but like in the Obama administration, there was lots of uh, like government oversight that we went for and like allowing of like wiretapping and this and that and all that stuff which was fine because Obama was the one doing it and, you know, he he couldn't do anything wrong with any of that stuff. But then as soon as we move into a situation where it's like, oh, but now this guy gets to inherit all that, uh, it became a lot more troubling. And I was looking for that awakening inside of me and I really found it in Rogue One and it really, like, stirred me in that moment. The other thing I wanted to mention real quick, which is to jump all the way back, we're going to do a really good chiasma here, uh, is that you started by talking about diversity and the very diverse cast that um, is presented to you and this was a film and I, it's actually incredibly salient today because we have this whole issue with um names i'm so bad at names what's the name of of the woman who was in um the last jedi who just left twitter oh um kelly tran yeah um a Rostico, the, the character, but it was Kelly that's, Marie Tran. That's right, yeah. So, we live in a time right now where, like, Kelly Marie Tran left uh, Twitter because reasons, but essentially lots of people who were not correct said that the Star Wars movie was worse because she was in it, and it was just a diversity ploy and stuff. And I feel like that's been said about a lot of films recently, sometimes accurately, sometimes not accurately. Um, but never, like, with the sense that the movie shouldn't exist because that's a thing. It's like calling out a, a movie for trying to do something right, you know. But uh, <laughs> but but in this movie, I feel like there's not even a chance to, to call it out or to say, like, oh, it's just a diversity thing. Because the film is so tightly crafted and those characters are so well flushed out... And they're never just, I guess the, the phrase that gets used is uh, Mary Sue's, uh, where it's just like the female character who can do anything, right? Like, Jin struggles, like a lot. <laughs> Jin can't do anything, and neither can Cassian, and neither can any of these characters. Like, they all require each other to to make everything happen. What What I think is so incredible, especially about the end, is how it's not... Luke blasting the blasters into the into the exhaust port and the Death Star blows up and he saves the day. It's not Luke again fighting Darth Vader and <laughs> then getting rescued by Leia, uh, but still fighting Vader to save the day. It's not 
Luke again fighting Darth Vader. <laughs> it's it's not one person fighting the other person. It's like all of the parts at the end require all of the different components to work together. So we have to get the thing plugged in. We have to flip the switch. We have to, you know, defend Cassian and Jin while they're looking for the thing. And everything comes together as, like, a group working together as a team in a way that, like, most team films never acquire that level of, like, working together itness. Right. It's it's a it's a film about this team as as family and it, and it's using the the idea of of a team as a kind of like a postmodern version of of a family like this is this is a new family it's a chosen family and it's diverse and we hardly know each other but we've become a family because of the things that we give to each other and and the things that we you you can't win unless every single person's area of expertise is you if rogue one had had a different core of characters or two characters with the same set of skills it never would have been done and it's this kind of lucky maybe it's the force maybe it's luck maybe it's it's uh you know Jin and her surprisingly incredible leadership skills but you somehow end up with exactly the right people for the job and they become this super tight family and it and it does a lot you're right because in in the other movies you've got luke you've got ray you've got these individuals and and it's about the idea of this individual greatness this chosen one kind of brilliance but but one and there's nothing wrong with that there's an absolute place for the hero's journey for these people to yeah and you and and you as a person sitting there alone in a dark room watching this movie go i can do that like i can be luke i can be ray you become inspired by this but uh, Rogue One takes this approach of like you could be Jin, but Jin would be dead without Cassian. Jin would be dead without Bodhi and and Shirt and Baze and K two and 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 Melshi and like all of the other the like minor characters that that are running around um, saving risking their lives and 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 yeah. ultimately spoiler alert everyone dies at the end of this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, because they believed in something bigger than themselves and they believed in this idea of of coming together as a group. And and you were so right to bring up 2016 in this. It came at a spot that was so, so important. And Carrie Fisher had just died or ju- died like right after the movie was yes, released. And, and we all marched. I, I went to DC and marched on Washington carrying a, a poster with, uh, with Princess Leia. And it said, uh, a woman's place is in the resistance. But you know what I saw all day long? I saw posters that say rebellions are built on hope. Yeah. And this idea of hope and family and togetherness and camaraderie and this, all of those things come together in a package that's also beautiful and beautifully scored. And yes. I just, when I see people hate on Rogue One, I get real mad because I think that and and what I really would like this podcast to do, regardless of even if just one Rogue One hater listens to it, I want them to sit there and think, maybe I underestimated this film, and maybe there is something to be said in in defense of it. I'd like I'd like, and specifically, I would like <laughs> my friend Buddy Duquesne to listen to this podcast <laughs> because he, he is not a Rogue One hater. He doesn't hate it, but he has. He every time I tell him how much I love it, he just blinks at me with his big old eyes. 
he doesn't know that we're doing this either. So uh, not that this podcast is dedicated to one person, but there is one. Uh, this is this is what I what I'd like to do with this podcast, and 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 go into these details about about why it deserves more love and respect than it currently gets. I I had a similar. I don't know if it's the blinking at you incessantly, but I I, I had a, a film professor, and he and I agree on a number of films, but tend to dis- disagree on films that come out recently. And after, I don't know, maybe a month or so after Rogue One came out, I, I bumped into him and I said, hey, you know, what'd you think of the new Star Wars movie? And he was like, oh, it was awful. It was not good. Blah. And, oh, no. and, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a film critic in this and that. And I was like, but like the political message and like the characters and the family and all the stuff we kind of just touched upon. And he was like, I don't want any of that in a star Wars film. And I was like, that's exactly what I want in a star Wars film. <laughs> Politics masked in like intergalactic strife. <laughs> like, like it's the perfect thing. Uh, so I, I also, star you know, Wars has always been political. And yeah. that's what, when, when people start getting weird about like the last Jedi, for example, and they and or about Kelly Marie Tran and and and, and like quote unquote diversity hire whatever that's right. so rude and like the worst because and also, diversity is good for everyone. Also, she was really great in that film and like one of the best. She was parts. so good. She's such an important addition to that team because otherwise it's Finn like being Finn. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to describe it other than like. Finn being Finn, Ray being Ray. <laughs> right, she's she's so she's so important to the story, and I and I adore her, and um and I hope that she hasn't been harassed too too badly. Um, but uh, so so people nowadays in the Twitterverse and and Star Wars fan communities and stuff think that the Last Jedi was too political, or that the casting has gotten too political. It's like where were you back in nineteen seventy seven? How did we? How did you all somehow forget that Star Wars has always been political? It's always been about there was an emperor and and there have been tyrants and and I am the Senate. It's literally been ingrained in Star Wars DNA from the very beginning. And and not even just political in terms of wide politics. We can even talk about like social justice and like that moment where the door opens on Carrie Fisher and you get like a split second of her as like damsel who needs to be saved right before she says too short for a stormtrooper and then promptly goes out (laughs) they're trying to shoot their way down the hallway and she's like y'all are a bunch of idiots blasts the vent and jumps through it first and you're like who is this woman (laughs) like this isn't this isn't the princess (laughs) this isn't the princess of the tower yeah she completely flipped that trope on its head and and to think that that Star Wars is only just now becoming social justice like like sure Leia was Leia was a you know a beautiful woman and and, and she's wearing you know the gold bikini and the, you know the the whole thing like she has her damsel moments but she was a really important step in uh female representation in action films and and in the yeah. sci-fi genre and um and she turned the whole concept of damsel in distress right over on itself and and star wars has always been like that yeah, and it's not always perfect but like 
even when she's in the gold bikini, she takes her chain and chokes her oppressor. Like, like she gets her moment. Hut Slayer! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So She's amazing. I guess the point is, Kelly Marie Tran, I'm very sorry that people made you, people who look like me, made you feel bad. I, I hope... <laughs> I hope you can find a safe place to be yourself, and I really hope you're in the next Star Wars film, because I'm really excited for that. So, Unless she died yeah, in the she... end of The Last Jedi. She's alive? <sighs> no. No, she's I think alive. she's alive. I think she's she's just in a coma or something. She was she oh, seemed to be alive-ish that's right, that's right. on the Millennium Falcon. That's right. Okay. I only watched The Last Jedi once, despite wanting to watch it more than once, so I should probably watch that again. But we hit We hit a bunch of the big themes. Family, hope, rebellion, politics, these sorts of things. Um, But there's one Mm -hmm. other theme I picked up on this viewing in particular, which is when there's two really, really good scenes where the, we'll, we'll effectively call them the Rogue One bunch, are in the ship before they get to, is it Yadu? Edu. Edu, that's right. Before they get to Edu and after they get to Edu. The Rogue One bunch are in their ship. And there are two scenes there. And on the front end scene, you have tension between uh, Jin, who wants to go and grab her father because she now believes that there's a a way to stop the Death Star, which Cassian doesn't necessarily believe in. Uh, He just is going to hold to his mission, which is to kill Galen. And then on the flip side... There's this other scene, and in a worse movie, this is the scene where they, like, make up because their experience on Edu has, like, made them realize that they're on the same side and this and that. Fortunately, Rogue One doesn't do that. But in in one of those two scenes, I believe it's the first one, she says, um, my father built in a choice. My father's message. I've seen him. They call it the Death Star. They have no idea. There's a way to defeat it. You're wrong about my father. He did build it. Because he knew they'd do it without him. My father made a choice. He sacrificed himself for the rebellion. He's rigged a trap inside it. Uh, and she uses that word choice very specifically. And I wanna, I want to come back to this idea of choice at some point while we're talking about this. Because specifically with regards to, like... K2SO, who is a robot that has been reprogrammed um, and believes that everything is deterministic and has these very specific numbers that he's crunching to always figure out the the probability of things, be they very, very high. Uh, and <laughs> that, that element of determinism versus what Jin believes is the choice that's been put into her versus Cassian, who follows orders and doesn't um, embrace his own desire to choose which way he's going to go. He just follows the orders to the to the end of, you know, killing people when that's what's necessary for the rebellion. Um, which, of course, Jin has that great line. You're no better than a stormtrooper. But you wouldn't understand that. Orders? When you know they're wrong? You might as well be a stormtrooper. I knew you'd knew it. Uh, and so that that like three-way dynamic between them of trying to inherit choice just being a stormtrooper and being a determinist all comes into like a head right at the very end of it and i want to come into all of this because i think it ties into 
the choice of family, the choice of your ethic system, the choice of your politics, the choice of your act of rebellion, even your choice for hope, right? Like when they're all sitting around the table and Jin is delivering that like really moving speech, they all still have a choice and they choose no. And again, like a worse film has her give that speech and all of the leaders are like, you said the speech, let's do it. I, I believe in you. But it's this great moment where like, they're like, we can't do this. It doesn't make sense. And the fact is, it, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like, like Jin comes out of nowhere and asks them to do this. And if I were the leader of a, a group in the Rebel Alliance, I might have to say no. But, but then she chooses to make the action on her own. And then that action compels others to have to follow but it's still a choice to go and save their fellow rebels so absolutely yeah and there's there's so much to be said um for for the for the arcs that each of these characters take but specifically jen um and she's she's my very favorite for many reasons but she goes from she's made she has made her choice and she says I'm going to do this. So you let me go. I don't care about your, I don't care about your revolution. Um, and presented with, you know, evidence. She's, she's a, she's a logical person. She's presented with evidence and she gets, um, you know, this idea that she can make a difference and make a choice. But even so she still just is heading towards Edil. She wants to get her father. She knows finally now that her father hasn't abandoned her. And so her choice is still, we're going on this mission. We're getting my we're getting my father, and from there we can make a choice. We can stop, uh, you know, Jeddah from from being destroyed, we, or not stop Jeddah from being destroyed. Stop another city from being destroyed, or a planet from being destroyed, um, because that's the right thing to do. But she's still not there for the rebellion. She's right. just it is it, she's there for her father, and somewhere between watching her father die and telling the council that they should go to scare somewhere between there she has made her choice to become to do something bigger and 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 better than herself and and you could say that it's uh you know grief or that she's deep down a good person but she did make a choice and she made such a deliberate one that's so selfless and so caring but at the same time so personal to herself she's like i'm you know oh i'll if i die for the rebellion i die for the rebellion this is the choice i've made now but it's still so personal you know i don't want my father's creation to hurt other people i want to honor the legacy of my father and and so she's almost now this, this is gonna gonna sound a little contradictory but i'm gonna get there um, it's almost like she doesn't have a choice. Like she's kind of forced her, like her hand is kind of forced into this because of who she is as a person. But I think that's so telling. Like she's like, I'm a, you know, I'm a good person and I love my father and, and, and I don't want to see anybody die or get hurt. Therefore I have to do something. She chooses to make the speech. She could have just passed on the information and said, do with it what you will. Right. She chooses to make the speech to try and be inspiring and to parrot Cassian's words back. She says rebellions are, are built on hope. You're asking us to invade an imperial installation based on nothing but hope. Rebellions are built on hope. She didn't have to say that. She didn't have to, you know, try. She didn't have to try that hard. She didn't have to make that choice. And I think, I think that that change happens at that, that second conversation after, right after Edu, when she's talking to Cassian and she says, you know, better than a stormtrooper. Right. And 
And he says, I made a choice. And I, I had orders. I had orders. Orders that I disobeyed. And I think even though she's still angry with him and she's still upset and she still has lost her father and she's still in shock and in grief, she recognizes that. And, and so he and he and her new friends and her new family, these people that she's now gone through hell with twice on Jeddah and Edu, right. inspires that choice in her. And um, yeah, the Edu scenes are so important. Yeah. And and the, the conversations that she had on the way to Edu, um, Bodhi says, your father gave me a choice. Your father said right. that if That's I did point. this, yeah. Bodhi said, if I did this, uh, Galen said I could do right by myself. Your father, he said I could get right by myself. He said I could make it right if I was brave enough to listen to wars in my heart, do something about it. And then they left and Cassian had chosen not to to kill Galen. And yeah, the the the... The theme of choice is so important, not just to the scene, but to the whole to the whole film, and and it's it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I think actually there's two things I think you you nailed on the head in the beginning. She she says like, oh, if we get Galen and take him to them, he will present them with the choice. Yes. Once Galen is no longer there to present the choice, she has another choice of either A, presenting the choice herself, or B, just giving them the information and letting them do with it what they will. But she chooses to embody that choice, taking on her father's legacy there. And I think you've, you've hit it exactly, which is there is a really clear understanding for each character of where their ethics comes from. And it's, it's one of the things that I think in, in lesser films, and even in other Star Wars films, wh what defines their ethics is nowhere clearly as displayed as in Rogue One, where Cassian is for the Rebellion because of what he lost. Jin is for herself in the beginning. That is her ethic. But there's also this part inside of her that will always do something for her family. And... It's that line that her father passes on to her, everything I do is for you. Mm -hmm. Well, if everything you do is for family, and you've lost your family, everything you do is, to some degree, meaningless or apathetic in, in some way, right? And it's when she finds, she finds family again in her father once she, like, when she sees that hologram, that moment where she's stunned is a moment where she realizes she has to do things for a purpose now because her father is still alive. When she then loses that, she has, again, another moment where she's lost the reason to do it because she doesn't have her ethic system, which is family. And her making that choice to adopt a new family or to... Um, to adopt her father's legacy and still do this for him even though he's not there. That's the arc that we see her go through. Before when she believed her family was dead, she went into apathy. Now when she knows that her family is gone, she continues their legacy and carries it on. Um, and so I think what you were saying was, it seems at times like she doesn't have a choice in what she's doing with these things. And I think that's because her ethic is so clear to her. She knows 
how like it's it's clear even to the writers and to the directors on a more meta meta position but like how will Jin act in response to this and it has a very very clear guide to it even though she still has choice within those things exactly nailed it I'm really excited to talk about this movie every month This is gonna be so good. I loved all of that. I loved that whole conversation, and and just that, and that's just, you know, a couple of lines from a couple of shots, but it, it breaks down so much of what, um, of of why this is a film that can be, anal over 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 analyzed month to month to month to month. Yes. Uh, and why I think each rewatch that we do is gonna reveal something new, um, and special. So this is our, our podcast, Rogue Fun, a podcast story where we watch Rogue One every month for the rest of our lives. You can join us watching it, uh, but next month we are going to focus on the opening sequence. So from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away to when the screen says Rogue One, just that that section of the film. And... Alice, do you want to tell them where they can find out more about the podcast? Absolutely. You can find out more about our podcast and follow along with us on Twitter at RogueFunPod. And if you wanted to hear more from us specifically, you can follow me on Twitter at AliceWhiteTHP for Those Happy Places, which is uh, my other podcast that I do uh, with Buddy DeCain. Uh, about theme parks, rides, and attractions, and why they matter. And you can follow me at TH Ponders on most of the social media. Um, I also do another show called Accession, where I talk about art in art museums. All right, uh, Alice, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.